Section 5 of Animal Heroes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Steph Hamilton. Animal Heroes by Ernest Thompson Seton. Arno, The Chronicle of a Homing Pigeon. 3. That was Arno's first public record, but others came fast, and several curious scenes were enacted in that old pigeon loft with Arno as the central figure. One day a carriage drove up to the stable, a white-haired gentleman got out, climbed the dusty stairs, and sat all morning in the loft with Billy, peering from his gold-rimmed glasses, first at a lot of papers, next across the roofs of the city, waiting, watching. For what? News from a little place not forty miles away. News of greatest weight to him. Tidings that would make or break him. Tidings that must reach him before it could be telegraphed. A telegram meant at least an hour's delay at each end. What was faster than that for forty miles? In those days there was but one thing. A high-class homer. Money would count for nothing if he could win. The best, the very best at any price he must have, and Arno, with seven indelible records on his pinions, was the chosen messenger. An hour went by, another, a third was begun, when the whistle of wings, the blue meteor, flashed into the loft. Billy slammed the door and caught him. Deftly he snipped the threads and handed the roll to the banker. The old man turned deathly pale, fumbled it open, then his color came back. "'Thank God!' he gasped, and then went speeding to his board meeting, master of the situation. Little Arno had saved him. The banker wanted to buy the homer, feeling in a vague way that he ought to honor and cherish him, but Billy was very clear about it. "'What's the good? You can't buy a homer's heart. You could keep him a prisoner, that's all. But nothing on earth could make him forsake the old loft where he was hatched.' So Arno stayed at 211 West 19th Street, but the banker did not forget. There is in our country a class of miscreants who think a flying pigeon is fair game, because it is probably far from home or they shoot him because it is hard to fix the crime. Many a noble Homer, speeding with a life-or-death message, has been shot down by one of these wretches and remorselessly made into a pot-pie. Arno's brother Arnolf, with three fine records on his wings, was thus murdered in the act of bearing a hasty summons for the doctor. As he fell dying at the gunner's feet, his superb wings spread out displayed his list of victories. The silver badge on his leg was there, and the gunner was smitten with remorse. He had the message sent on. He returned the dead bird to the homing club, saying that he found it. The owner came to see him. The gunner broke down under cross-examination and was forced to admit that he himself had shot the homer, but did so in behalf of a poor sick neighbor who craved a pigeon pie. There were tears in the wrath of the pigeon man. My bird! My beautiful Arnolf! Twenty times has he brought vital messages, three times has he made records, twice has he saved human lives, and you'd shoot him for a pot pie. I could punish you under the law, but I have no heart for such a poor revenge. I only ask you this, if ever again you have a sick neighbor who wants a pigeon pie, come, we'll freely supply him with pie-breed squabs, but if you have a trace of manhood about you, you will never— Never again shoot or allow others to shoot our noble and priceless messengers. This took place while the banker was in touch with the loft, while his heart was warm for the pigeons. 
he was a man of influence and the pigeon protective legislation at albany was the immediate fruit of arno's exploit four billy had never liked the corner box blue twenty six hundred c notwithstanding the fact that he still continued in the ranks of the silver badge billy believed he was poor stuff the steamer incident seemed to prove him coward he certainly was a bully one morning when billy went in there was a row two pigeons a large and a small alternately clinching and sparring all over the floor feathers flying dust and commotion everywhere as soon as they were separated billy found that the little one was arno and the big one was the corner box blue arno had made a good fight but was overmatched for the big blue was half as heavy again soon it was very clear what they had fought over a pretty little lady pigeon of the bluest homing blood the big blue cock had kept up a state of bad feeling by his bullying but it was the little lady that had made them close in mortal combat billy had no authority to wring the big blue's neck but he interfered as far as he could in behalf of his favorite arno pigeon marriages are arranged somewhat like those of mankind propinquity is the first thing force the pair together for a time and let nature take its course so billy locked arno and the little lady up together in a separate apartment for two weeks and to make doubly sure he locked big blue up with an available lady in another apartment for two weeks things turned out just as was expected the little lady surrendered to arno and the available lady to the big blue two nests were begun and everything shaped for a lived happily ever after but the big blue was very big and handsome he could blow out his crop and strut in the sun and make rainbows all round his neck in a way that might turn the heart of the statist homerine arno though sturdily built was small and except for his brilliant eyes not especially good-looking moreover he was often away on important business and the big blue had nothing to do but stay around the loft and display his unlettered wings it is the custom of moralists to point to the lower animals and especially to the pigeon for examples of love and constancy and properly so but alas there are exceptions vice is not by any means limited to the human race arno's wife had been deeply impressed with the big blue at the outset and at length while her spouse was absent the dreadful thing took place arno returned from boston one day to find that the big blue while he retained his own available lady in the corner box had also annexed the box and wife that belonged to himself and a desperate battle followed the only spectators were the two wives but they maintained an indifferent aloofness arno fought with his famous wings but they were none the better weapons because they now bore twenty records his beak and feet were small as became his blood and his stout little heart could not make up for his lack of weight the battle went against him his wife sat unconcernedly in the nest as though it were not her affair and arno might have been killed but for the timely arrival of billy he was angry enough to wring the blue bird's neck but the bully escaped from the loft in time billy took tender care of arno for a few days at the end of a week he was well again and in ten days he was once more on the road meanwhile he had evidently forgiven his faithless wife for without any apparent feeling he took up his nesting as before that month he made two new records he brought a message ten miles in eight minutes and he came from boston in four hours every moment of the way he had been impelled by the master passion of home love but it was a poor homecoming if his wife figured at all in his thoughts for he found her again flirting with the big blue cock tired as he was the duel was renewed and again would have been to a finish but for billy's interference he separated the fighters then shut the blue cock up in a coop determined to get rid of him in some way 
Meanwhile, the NEH sweepstakes handicap from Chicago to New York was on, a race of 900 miles. Arno had been entered six months before, his forfeit money was up, and notwithstanding his domestic complications, his friends felt that he must not fail to appear. The birds were sent by train to Chicago to be liberated at intervals there according to their handicap, and last of the start was Arno. They lost no time, and outside of Chicago several of these prime flyers joined by common impulse into a racing flock that went through air on the same invisible track. A homer may make a straight line when following his general sense of direction, but when following a familiar back track, he sticks to the well-remembered landmarks. Most of the birds had been trained by way of Columbus and Buffalo. Arno knew the Columbus route, but also he knew that by Detroit and after leaving Lake Michigan, he took the straight line for Detroit. Thus he caught up on his handicap and had the advantage of many miles. Detroit, Buffalo, Rochester, with their familiar towers and chimneys, faded behind him, and Syracuse was near at hand. It was now late afternoon. Six hundred miles in twelve hours he had flown, and was undoubtedly leading the race. But the usual thirst of the flyer had attacked him. Skimming over the city roofs, he saw a loft of pigeons, and descending from his high course in two or three great circles, he followed the ingoing birds to the loft and drank greedily at the water trough, as he had often done before, and as every pigeon lover hospitably expects the messengers to do. The owner of the loft was there, and noted the strange bird. He stepped quietly to where he could inspect him. One of his own pigeons made momentary opposition to the stranger, and Arno, sparring sidewise with an open wing in pigeon style, displayed the long array of printed records. The man was a fancier. His interest was aroused. He pulled the string that shut the flying door, and in a few minutes Arno was his prisoner. The robber spread the much-inscribed wings, read record after record, and glancing at the silver badge, it should have been gold, he read his name, Arno, then exclaimed, Arno! Arno! Oh, I've heard of you, you little beauty, and it's glad I am to trap you. He sniffed the message from his tail, unrolled it, and read, Arno left Chicago this morning at 4 a.m., scratched in the NEH sweepstakes for New York. 600 miles in 12 hours, by the powers, that's a record-breaker. And the pigeon-stealer gently, almost reverently, put the fluttering bird safely into a padded cage. Well, he added, I know it's no use trying to make you stay, but I can breed from you and have some of your strain. So Arno was shut up in a large and comfortable loft with several other prisoners. The man, though a thief, was a lover of Homer's. He gave his captive everything that could ensure his comfort and safety. For three months he left him in that loft. At first Arno did nothing all day but walk up and down the wire screen, looking high and low for means of escape, but in the fourth month he seemed to have abandoned the attempt, and the watchful jailer began the second part of his scheme. He introduced a coy young lady pigeon, but it did not seem to answer. Arno was not even civil to her. After a time the jailer removed the female, and Arno was left in solitary confinement for a month. Now a different female was brought in, but with no better luck, and thus it went on. For a year different charmers were introduced. Arno either violently repelled them or was scornfully indifferent, and at times the old longing to get away came back with twofold power, so that he darted up and down the wire front or dashed with all his force against it. When the storied feathers of his wings began their annual molt, his jailer saved them as precious things, and as each new feather came he reproduced on it the record of its owner's fame. 
Two years went slowly by, and the jailer had put Arnaud in a new loft and brought in another lady pigeon. By chance, she closely resembled the faithless one at home, and Arnaud actually heeded the newcomer. Once the jailer thought he saw his famous prisoner paying some slight attention to the charmer, and yes, he surely saw her preparing a nest, then assuming that they had reached a full understanding, the jailer, for the first time, opened the outlet and Arnaud was free. Did he hang around in doubt? Did he hesitate? No, not for one moment. As soon as the drop of the door left open the way, he shot through, spread those wonderful blazoned wings, and with no second thought for the last Circe, sprang from the hated prison loft, away and away. 5. We have no means of looking into the pigeon's mind. We may go wrong in conjuring up for it deep thoughts of love and welcome home, but we are safe in this. We cannot too strongly paint. We cannot too highly praise and glorify that wonderful God-implanted, mankind-fostered home-love that glows unquenchably in this noble bird. Call it what you like, a mere instinct deliberately constructed by man for his selfish ends. Explain it away, if you will. Dissect it, misname it, and it still is there, an overwhelming, imperishable master-power, as long as the brave little heart and wings can beat. Home, home sweet home. Never had mankind a stronger love of home than Arno. The trials and sorrows of the old pigeon loft were forgotten in that all-dominating force of his nature. Not years of prison bars, not later loves, nor fear of death could down its power. And Arno, had the gift of song been his, must surely have sung as sings a hero in his highest joy when sprang he from the lightning board, up-circling free, soaring, drawn by the only impulse that those glorious wings would honor, up, up, and widening, heightening circles of ashy blue in the blue, flashing those many-lettered wings of white, till they seemed like jets of fire, up and on, driven by that home-love, faithful to his only home and to his faithless mate, closing his eyes, they say, closing his ears, they tell, shutting his mind, we all believe, to nearer things, to two years of his life, to one half of his prime, but soaring in the blue, retiring, as a saint might do, into his inner self, giving himself up to that inmost guide, he was the captain of the ship, but the pilot, the chart and compass, all, were that deep implanted instinct. One thousand feet above the trees the inscrutable whisper came, and Arno, in arrowy swiftness now, was pointing for the south-southeast. The little flashes of white fire on each side were lost in the low sky, and the reverent robber of Syracuse saw Arno nevermore. The fast express was steaming down the valley. It was far ahead, but Arno overtook and passed it, as the flying wild duck passes the swimming muskrat. High in the valleys he went, low over the hills of Chenango where the pines were combing the breezes. Out from his oak tree eyrie a hawk came wheeling and sailing, silent, for he had marked the flyer and meant him for his prey. Arno turned neither right nor left, nor raised nor lowered his flight, nor lost a wing-beat. The hawk was in waiting in the gap ahead, and Arno passed him, even as a deer in his prime may pass a bear in his pathway. Home, home, was the only burning thought, the blinding impulse. Beat, 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 those flashing pinions went, with speed unslacked on the now familiar road. In an hour the Catskills were at hand. In two hours he was passing over them, Old friendly places, swiftly coming now, lent more force to his wings. Home, home, was the silent song that his heart was singing, like the traveler dying of thirst that sees the palm trees far ahead, 
His brilliant eyes took in the distant smoke of Manhattan. Out from the crest of the Catskills there launched a falcon, swiftest of the race of Rapin, proud of his strength, proud of his wings. He rejoiced in a worthy prey. Many and many a pigeon had been born to his nest. And riding the wind he came, swooping, reserving his strength, awaiting the proper time. Oh, how well he knew that very moment. Down, down, like a flashing javelin. No wild duck, no hawk could elude him, for this was a falcon. Turn back now, O oh Homer, and save yourself. Go round the dangerous hills. Did he turn? Not a whit, for this was Arno. Home, 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 was his only thought. To meet the danger, he merely added to his speed, and the peregrine stooped. Stooped at what? A flashing of color, a twinkling of whiteness, and went back empty, while Arno cleft the air of the valley as a stone from a sling to be lost. A white-winged bird, a spot with flashing halo, and quickly a speck in the offing. On down the dear valley of Hudson, the well-known highway, for two years he had not seen it. Now he dropped low as the noon breeze came north and ruffled the river below him. Home, 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 and the towers of a city are coming in view. Home, home, past the great spider bridge of Poughkeepsie, skimming, skirting the river banks. Low now by the bank, as the wind arose. Low, alas, too low. What fiend was it tempted a gunner in June to lurk on that hill by the margin? What devil directed his gaze to the twinkling of white that came from the blue to the northward? Oh, Arno, Arno, skimming low, forget not the gunner of old. Too low, too low you were clearing that hill. Too low, too late. Flash, bang, and the death hail has reached him, reached, maimed, but not downed him. Out of the flashing pinions, broken feathers printed with records went fluttering earthward. The knot of his sea record was gone. Not two hundred and ten, but twenty-one miles now it read. Oh, shameful pillage! A dark stain appeared on the bosom, but Arno kept on. Home, home, homeward bound. The danger was past in an instant. Home, homeward he steered, straight as before. But the wonderful speed was diminished. Not a mile a minute now and the wind made undue sounds in his tattered pinions. The stain in his breast told of broken force, but on, straight on he flew. Home, home was in sight, and the pain in his breast was forgotten. The tall towers of the city were in clear view of his far-seeing eye as he skimmed by the high cliffs of Jersey. On, on, the pinion might flag, the eye might darken, but the home-love was stronger and stronger. Under the tall palisades to be screened from the wind, he passed over the sparkling water, over the trees, under the peregrine's eyrie, under the pirate's castle where the great grim peregrine sat, peered like black-masked highwaymen. They marked the oncoming pigeon. Arno knew them of old. Many a message was lying undelivered in that nest. Many a record-bearing plume had fluttered away from its fastness. But Arno had faced them before, and now he came as before, on, onward, swift, but not as he had been. The deadly gun had sapped his force, had lowered his speed. On, on, and the peregrines, biding their time, went forth like two bow-bolts, strong and lightning-swift. They went against one weak and wearied. Why tell of the race that followed? Why paint the despair of a brave little heart in sight of the home he had craved in vain? In a minute all was over. The peregrines screeched in their triumph. Screeching and sailing, they swung to the eyrie, and the prey in their claws was the body, the last of the bright little Arno. 
there on the rocks the beaks and claws of the bandit were red with the life of the hero torn asunder were those matchless wings and their records were scattered unnoticed in sun and in storm they lay till the killers themselves were killed and their stronghold rifled and none knew the fate of the peerless bird till deep in the dust and rubbish of that pirate nest the avenger found among others of its kind a silver ring the sacred badge of the high homer and read upon it the pregnant inscription arno twenty five ninety c end of section five